From Entrepreneur Media, this is Problem Solvers, a show in which entrepreneurs do what entrepreneurs do best, solve unexpected problems in their business. We were completely wrong. And I'm just like, it's not selling. It was like, we have to start from scratch. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. Back at the very beginning of the pandemic, I had a conversation with my friend John Taffer, who is the host of Bar Rescue, that great show on television. And John made this prediction about what was going to happen to businesses and to leaders as a result of the pandemic. And it was so clear-eyed and optimistic that I have to be honest, I just kept an eye out for his prediction playing out in the real world the whole time. And here's what it was. We saw this at a recession. I saw this after 9-11. Great marketers are going to shine now. Great operators are going to bubble to the top now. Great promoters are going to ignite these businesses now. This is the time for greatness to be great. This is the time for greatness to be great. I just really loved that because I thought, yes, of course. I mean, it's not like things are going to stop, even though people were facing challenges like they had never seen before. There were going to need to be people who had solutions. Someone was going to have to rise up and be that problem solver. And the person who did it was going to reap a lot of rewards. And now here we are at the tail end of this thing, hopefully, and we get to see what that looked like, how that played out. And it's really interesting. On this episode of the show, I want to introduce you to a guy who stepped into a major role at just the time when everything was falling apart. And greatness had to be great, right? Here he is. Hi, I'm Michael Saka, the Executive Vice President and GM at Dribble. And Dribble is? Oh, Dribble is one of the largest communities for graphic designers to showcase their work and get hired. Michael is also the host of Rocketship.fm, which is a product and entrepreneurial-focused podcast that's been running for seven years. And that cool title that Michael has, well, that's all pretty new. He became GM of Dribbble in August of 2020, which was a pretty challenging time at Dribbble because a lot of its business was exactly the kind of business that got really impacted by the pandemic. We have a hiring business and we have advertising. And as many people know, hiring really dried up as everyone moved remote and there's a ton of uncertainty in the market and advertising did as well. And so the advertising market hit took a 30 to 40% hit depending on the sector. And we definitely felt that as well. And those were two of the the key revenue uh, streams that we depend on since we are a bootstrap company. And that's essentially how we pay our bills. So, okay. Michael was basically given a giant promotion and then he was told, Hey, there's an enormous fire consuming the building. Go figure out how to put it out. And well, what did he do? That is the story that I want to tell you on this episode of the podcast, because as John Taffer said, greatness had to be great. What does that look like? In this case, it looks like Michael and his team not panicking and instead planning for the future despite absolute terror in the present. It's a great story, and I want to share it with you, and it's all coming up after the break. Why is it important to have a trusted provider managing your network? Well, let's say a retail store needs to be able to fulfill customer orders online, in-store, and everywhere in between. That takes mobility and networking solutions working together. 
Networking solutions powered by AT&T Business Fiber Connectivity give you reliable and symmetrical speed so that every employee on your Wi-Fi has the bandwidth they need to update inventory and track order progress. So your customers know what products you have available and their BOPIS orders, that's buy online, pick up in store, get fulfilled quickly. No matter the size of your company, AT&T Business gives you enterprise-grade mobility solutions that reliably connect your staff to each other and to your customers. So when the customer calls to say they're in pickup spot number three, your employees get the call, grab the order, and send the customer happily on their way. To learn more about how AT&T Business can help keep your business going, visit att.com solvers. All right, we are back. So on this episode, I am talking with Michael Saka about how he stepped into a leadership role and then turned things around with his team at Dribbble while the pandemic had just completely destroyed two of its most important lines of business. And to understand what's going on here and to set it up, let's just back up a little bit a few months earlier to when the pandemic was really starting off, because Dribbble was in the process of making some big changes. We had just acquired Creative Market, which is one of the largest digital asset marketplaces. And so we were restructuring the the company. And so I was the VP of product at the time. And starting in, in August, I moved into a GM role at Dribbble. Our CEO moved to help lead both companies. And we, we had a kind of a subsidiary structure within Dribbble. So while we were kind of reorganizing we also were hitting some COVID-related struggles and and losing our revenue. We, we had to figure that out quickly. Right. Okay. Well, that's a pretty good place to start. So here you are. There A bunch of changes happen, and you are basically shown the giant fire and told, figure out how to put it out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, it is definitely a, a team effort here. Right. But I think there were some important things that that we learned through that, through the kind of leading through a global pandemic and a couple of things we lots of stuff we did wrong, a couple of things we did right. And we've actually come out the other side quite successful. So I, I'm happy to kind of fill in some of the gaps there. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to walk through it. I mean, the first thing I'd love to figure out is here you are, you're looking at a bunch of problems. They are COVID-related, which means a whole bunch of things. But but a couple things that are worth pointing out here is right. It, it's not like you were walking into some severely mismanaged situation. You were walking into a situation where like a rug was pulled out from under the company, as it was for so many. But that also means that some things are very hard to fix. So you've got. It's not like you can be like, well, somebody wasn't managing the hiring product very well, so we can go fix it because we're in COVID. People aren't hiring. So it's just not an option. So how do you start to assess what you have in front of you that is workable and what kind of solutions you can start to identify? I think we we did two different things, but what we did overall was invest back into the product that we knew was going to return eventually. We just didn't know when. And so we, we took that opportunity to actually rebuild the hiring product. You know, we started that project in May, knowing that there was no revenue. I mean, there was revenue coming in, but it wasn't what it should have been. And we actually shipped that uh, new release in in August. And so we, we took about three months to rebuild the product to make it a better experience for everyone subscribing rather than shuttering the business line and trying to find something else, right? So we didn't go into panic mode. And you're uh, thinking this, you're, you you guys thought to do this because I assume you're thinking, number one, it's not like hiring disappears forever. At some point, people mm-hmm. need this product again. And number two, am I to assume that you had a whole plan of things that you were aware of 
would benefit this product and probably something that you had a timeline for that stretched into the future. And now you're realizing, well, if people aren't using this thing, then what a perfect time to just do everything that we were going to do, but faster while it causes less disruption. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, definitely, right? It was, why not come out the other end a better company than we are today rather than trying to like cut back right? And, and just wait for the, the clearing. So we knew that hiring is going to come back. We, we had a hunch that it was going to come back remote because we knew companies aren't going to stop just because there's a, a global pandemic and they didn't. They just stopped hiring for a minute while they tried to figure out what was going on. And when the market came back, it came back remote and it, and it came back even bigger than it was before. And we were actually ready with a product that met their, their demand. So with that hunch that, that design hiring was, was going to open up and be less location specific, we got the product in a place where it actually was a product that people would stay subscribed to rather than just use because they had to. They, they actually, we, we built a product that satisfied both freelance and full-time because we weren't sure before we were very focused on full-time employment as, as most companies were. But then with the pandemic, uncertainty, jobs move freelance. They move to contract because it's easier for companies to kind of move on and off their payroll. So we built this, uh, we built freelance directly into the, the search product in a meaningful way. And now what we see is, is companies actually coming to us for that specific feature, which was unique to the new climate that we're in today, which is still relatively uncertain, although certainly coming back. Okay, that's great. So step number one here is believe in the long game. I suppose, right? You know it's coming back. There's no reason to kill it. Instead, why don't we figure out how to make this better in the future and more adaptable and adaptive to the moment that we're in? What is the next thing you guys did? So the other the other business line we had was the advertising. And it, advertising was really suffering from a lack of confidence. So we we had seen kind of advertisers get scared. They they pulled back, they, you know, they were pulling back contracts in March that that we had signed because everyone was cutting back. And so the the team, they oftentimes kind of lacked the confidence that we had a product that they could sell because they were getting so many no's. And so once again, we we took a small development team, we rebuilt much of the product, made it more performant, and we started benchmarking ourselves against the other competitors in the market, like Pinterest, right? And so we started just on our team calls, we do weekly team calls, and we really just started hyping up this advertising product to the entire team. We had a double, we have double the click-through rate of Pinterest. We we had we had some advertisers that were that were seeing success on the kind of conversion side. And we started telling these stories to the team, the entire team every week. And slowly what we saw was the sales team started using these stories in their pitches, but they also, they all of a sudden had the confidence to go out and sell the product. Once they were excited about the product, they could sell it. It was no longer like, well, we have this native ad unit. You can buy it if you want. They were actually excited about the performance that they were seeing. And we turned around, we added, I mean, we saw like 150% growth between August and September in that product line alone, simply because they were excited to for what they were selling. Yeah, let's let's pause on the psychology of this. It's it's really interesting. I mean, the way that you were telling that story, it was clear to me that going out and telling, hyping this to the team was a very strategic effort. And so I'd actually love for you to rewind just a little bit to before the hype, where sure. you and some others are sitting around and thinking, okay, what are the problems and what are the solutions? And you had to have identified 
confidence and enthusiasm from the team as part of the problem and then get to a solution. Can you talk to me about how you got there? Yeah. So, I mean, I I guess building an advertising product is not the most fun, right? <laughs> and so it's it's not everyone's dream. And so part of it started there was in the development process of pitching the opportunity to the product team and pitching it in a way that was beneficial to brands and advertisers that were spending with us. That was an improvement over the product that we were selling. So part of it started there was what we... And I kind of approach everything as a sales pitch because I, I find that it's everything is really a, a sales pitch. So we started pitching into the product team to get people excited to actually build it. And what we found was the team responded really well. They were actually, there was actually some interesting challenges that we were able to pull out and, and that they were able to accomplish. And that translated kind of into this a sales pitch back to the, the sales team who, you know, really what we wanted to do was give them a product that was performant. And that's what they wanted at the end of the day. And so part of it was convincing them that we had a great product to do it. So yeah, we're, we're sitting around, we, we knew we had to move these units, we, we knew that we had to sell this. But when we started researching other performance in the market, mm. I think part of what we were doing was looking at only Facebook, and Facebook has a great click through rate, right? But when we started to look at some of the more niche advertising networks, we realized that we actually had better performance than most of them. But we weren't telling the team that they didn't know that. They just knew that we were below Facebook at the time. And, and now we actually can compete with Facebook's click-through rate. But having them just know that they had a product that was superior to their competitors, that alone gave them the confidence to go out and sell the thing. You know, it's funny. I So I'm the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. And every so often, our VP of sales asks me to join well, previously a meeting in an office, but now just a Zoom call or whatever with the sales team. And I say, sure. And then we do it. And what it always ends up turning into is me telling stories or giving my perspective or just just telling the narrative that I've been telling lately about where entrepreneurs are and, and how we're talking to them. And at the end of it, every single time I leave thinking, I have no idea if I said a damn <laughs> useful thing to these people because I didn't, we didn't talk about strategy. I didn't give them anything in particular to sell, but they all seem happy, but maybe they're, yeah. maybe they're just they're maybe they're just pretending to be happy because they feel like they have to with me. But actually listening to you makes me feel better about those calls because possibly what I'm doing here is I'm giving them the narrative and the stories that they can use to go out and sell and that there's something really valuable there that possibly gets too overlooked. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, these decisions are not, I mean, they're performance-based, but when you're making that initial sale, it's as much about the story. I mean, this is this is a fairly objective decision that's made by one person inside of an organization that you need to make the champion inside of that organization to own the sale, either to entrepreneur or to dribble. And and so, yeah, it oftentimes we forget about the st storytelling component. We focus so much on the CPMs and the CTRs, what which matters. But it, there's a whole nother side to the sale that is incredibly important. And once we gave the team that story about who we were and about the mm -hmm. product, we actually, I mean, the sales started coming in because the people buying the ads were excited just to work with us because they understood who we were. Oh, that's a really, that's a really powerful outcome to yeah. see. So, okay. That basically covers the two product lines and how they were saved. But what else had to happen at Dribbble? It wasn't just a matter of saving two product lines, right? This was a holistic thing that had to happen to save this company. So when we come back from a short break, we're going to zoom out further or maybe zoom in into the specifics. Well, whatever. 
We're going to look at more because there's more to say about how this greatness became great. I want to tell you about a podcast called Creative Elements. It is a show that bridges the gap between art and business by talking to high-profile creators about the nitty-gritty of building their creative careers. It has never been a better time to earn a living with the things that you make. Each week, your favorite creators like Seth Godin and James Clear and Vanessa Van Edwards explain how they made an independent living with their art and creativity. By learning how these creators made a living with their art, you will feel more confident earning a living on your own terms too. Creative Elements is brought to you by the Podglomerate and new episodes air every Tuesday. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this show. All right, we are back talking with Michael Saka of Dribble and of Rocketship FM, great podcast about how Dribble made it through uh, the craziness of the pandemic by rethinking quite a lot, but also not panicking, as we just heard, and by really investing in its products and having a belief that these things may not be needed just this second, but they're going to be needed soon enough, so we might as well invest in it now. But I wanted to know what else was happening over there. Were there other things that you needed to do to slam the gas, to catch the moment when business started to return? I mean, there was such a, I feel like we're still right now speaking in a time where we're not entirely sure what's going to happen, but <laughs> we're really not. <laughs> but, but back then, as things started to incrementally open back up and business started to happen, I think that people didn't exactly know what they were looking at or what to do with it. How did you guys think through that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a good, it's a good question. And one of the things that we did was we we started to educate the team on why we were doing what we were doing more. We focused really on the story and the why. It's same outcomes that we saw work here. And we started to educate everyone on the metrics too. And we started talking about our metrics every week. We had often kind of shied away from negative uh, numbers, right? Because we feel like oh, maybe that would make people feel bad about what they're building. But what we found was we actually started sharing some of the downsides that we were going through and our goals where yeah, we're just trying to climb back to our post-COVID numbers. And it really motivated the team to actually solve the problems to help us get there. Whereas historically, when we had when we, we didn't talk about that that stuff as a team, people were making decisions that would pull us in different directions and not necessarily the direction that we wanted to be going. So we really rallied the team around these kind of micro improvements. And we, we actually stopped our entire product roadmap in September. And we, we generally worked on things that we could ship within a week. And that would start to move the needle. And we weren't sure how the team was going to take it because they were used to building like big product mm. features. But they actually got really excited because they could see the progress of their work. So, you know, we would ship something and then two weeks later, we could see we could see the metrics. And that got them excited to then do the V2, the V3 of that. Whereas before that, we didn't, we had a culture of building big features and releasing them. But that all changed once we kind of needed to get it together. And we, we could see the revenue start to compound every month after that for September is still going today. Is that a strategy that you're still employing and continue to? So we've, we have a team that continues that, but we've, we've identified some really big opportunities for ourselves. And so we do have some people working on kind of longer term, month long projects. And then, but you still have a team working on those really short iterative wins. Right. Yeah. So that's, I think that what you said there may not realize it is, is actually profound and representative of a big idea. And that is that 
people, a good way into it is this conversation that we've been having for the last year and change, which is, which is, will we ever go back to the office? Will work always be remote? And, and the answer, of course, is one thing never replaces another thing wholesale. Like something new comes along and it doesn't just like boot the old thing out the door, never to be seen again. That's, that's like not how anything ever works. Instead, what happens is that new things come along, whether by innovation or by necessity and force, and then they integrate into our world alongside the old. So what I love that you just illustrated there was a moment where you started to do something new. There's these very short product development, you know, shipping cycles where that was responding to a need in time. You found value in it. You're going to hang on to it. But that doesn't mean that the idea of like a long product roadmap goes away. Totally. Now, actually, you can have both. You can always have both. And I think that that is something, and I, and I say this sort of as a, as a hypothesis, I'm curious what you think for your own company or because you talk to so many people through the podcast, more big picture, that I think... Coming out of this, what we're going to have is a lot of people who made some kind of change, developed some kind of new strategy, and it worked for them, and they're going to hang on to a version of it, and they're going to integrate it with the best of what came before. What do you think? Yeah, no, I I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think that's we've seen it. We have we treat our product team like a, like an organism, and and that's very much what you're describing, right? Each person that we add brings a new perspective, but we've gone through almost every methodology of product as well, and we adapt some, and we we let a lot of it it go, and that way we keep moving forward. But yeah, no, I, I think in general that's absolutely true. We can already see it with companies. Some companies are are ready to bring back the office, get everyone together, but they're keeping some of those remote employees that they've picked up in the last year. And they're going to have to figure out how to to integrate them and and make the office now feel comfortable for those remote employees, which is a huge challenge in and of itself, but they're going to figure it out. So I, I, I completely agree. And I don't see the entire world going remote. This is not going to happen. No, not at all. It's definitely not happening. But there will be more of it or there will be a hybrid. And, and that, that I just think is going to be the case with every element of business yeah. where what we have, when we look out back on this 10 years later, what we'll see is, is a moment in which those who were nimble enough and fortunate enough were able to experiment. And mm. some of those experiments turned into new opportunities that then got integrated into whatever was happening before. And people ended up with an expanded understanding of how they could operate and how they could serve their clients. Yeah. No, absolutely. I completely agree. And I hope I'm, I'm, I've been remote for like six years. And so there's benefits, there's drawbacks, but I, I do find it fascinating watching various companies try to figure out remote and what that means for themselves. And so we'll, we're going to continue that for the next decade. Probably. Yeah. So Michael, just in brief, tell me what you guys are thinking now. You went through that process you transformed these products, you shifted how you're thinking about motivating and moving the team. And now doors are starting to open back up and business is starting to talk about getting back to normal, whatever on <laughs> earth that's going to be. Um, how are you thinking about what the next step is? Yeah. So we're, we're making more long-term bets, right? And so we hunkered down when things were low. We got the products in a place where we knew once they recover, 
they'll be in a better spot. We took about six months and we just did very iterative like growth work. But now we, we're, we're looking at the long-term vision again. So we're actually working again against a, a two to five year roadmap. So we've, we've with the leadership team, we've set out a vision for where we want to go. And now we're dedicating resources, which we know we may not see the actual gains from for six to 12 months, but we're dedicating the resources again to those projects, which we didn't do for the last six months. Right. Which must feel good. It does actually. Yeah. It, it feels great to, to, to have a balance. You can't be a giant growth team all the time. And so, yeah, but I'm really proud of the team, the way that they, they were able to kind of get into the mode, come together, work us through this problem. But I think they're all excited to get back onto the, the big meaty projects. So there it is. That's the story of one example of greatness being great. Of course, there are endless stories like this, which is what has been so exciting during this scary time, which is seeing people, just as John Taffer said, rise up, identify opportunities, say, I can put this on my shoulders, I can rally this team, and come out of this ahead. Anyway, thanks again to Michael Saka, and don't forget to check out his show, rocketship.fm, wherever you find podcasts. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Problem Solvers wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Monday morning and you don't want to miss it. And hey, be kind. Pass the show along to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost. And did you solve a problem that would be good for this show? Let me know about it. Visit my website, jasonpfeiffer.com, J-A-S-O-N-F-E-I-F-E-R.com, where you can find my contact information and all sorts of other valuable info. Problem Solvers is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for all all your entrepreneurship needs and even better subscribe to our magazine which is just full of the smartest entrepreneurs solving the toughest problems my name is jason pfeiffer the editor-in-chief of entrepreneur magazine thanks for listening and hey let's go solve some problems